I'm Shireen, and I am an alcoholic. So what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, well, first of all, I have to say that I am really excited and very honored to have the opportunity to speak tonight. This has been my home group since I moved to Tonopah nine years ago, nine years ago in June. So I'm, I'm really grateful that I had this opportunity. This is the first time I've had, had that opportunity to speak at our, in our meeting. So thank you, Charlie, for inviting me to do that. Um, so my story, I think, is, is pretty common in the, in the, um, from what I've heard from other people that are recovering from alcoholism, especially women, that uh, are, they come, the, the, uh, the roots of their life were pretty traumatic, lots of abuse and, and um, unspeakable damage. And um, that's the environment that I grew up in. I was just, you know, a little kid, and, my, and our household was just chaotic uh, with abuse. And there was no bounds. There was no, no boundary to, to the abuse. And, um, and it, the drug of my parents' choice was alcohol. And um, so I, I chose to start drinking when I was 12 years old. I know that I probably drank before that, too, because my father got a big kick out of getting little toddlers intoxicated and watching them stumble around drunk. He liked to do that. My father was a very sick man and just very, very disturbed, and he never received any healing. So, um, But for many, 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 many years, for decades, I was so angry with him that he would be such a bad father and that he could never even say he was sorry. He couldn't even admit you know, that he could do such terrible things. And um, I know that I began drinking because I could cope. It gave me a way to cope with something that I couldn't cope with without alcohol. For a moment, as soon as that alcohol hit the back of my throat, everything was okay. You know, I could deal with it. So I was 12 years old, sneaking out my bedroom window and staying out all night drinking. So I'd crawl back into my bedroom window, and I lived on the second, sec, second level of this apartment complex. So I had it all arranged. I could open my window, and it had the old cranked style. So I would just, you know, jimmy it back and forth until it would open long, uh, wide enough. And then I put a paint bucket right underneath my window. And then, so I climbed out on that, and then I would get on the next roof, and um, I could get down on a window, on a window ledge. And then just, I would be crazy all night. And um, so that's, that was my beginning. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it, got, it got really bad. Um, step one says we admitted that we're powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Well, um, I knew I was an alcoholic. I would tell you that I'm an alcoholic. And I felt, I really believed that that just excused my really, really, really bad behavior. I thought I could just, you know, drink like a fish, act like a jerk, and say, well, I'm an alcoholic. Like, that made it all better. Like, that made anything better. And I found that my friends would do the denying for me. They would say, you're not an alcoholic. You, you drink less than anybody I know. <laughs> they were just too drunk to notice. <clears throat> um. But my life didn't seem unmanageable until I became pregnant. 
from a very casual affair. And uh, that is when I realized that, you know, well, it was by the grace of God, really, that I was able to stop drinking because I was at, at that point in my life, I was drinking every single day because I would use, that would be my way to get to sleep at night. I would just drink myself to sleep every single day. And I'd wake up thinking, oh, I feel so terrible. I won't drink again. I'm not going to drink today. But by 5 o'clock, I was drinking again. And I drank until I could pass out. And um, so it was by the grace of God that when I became pregnant, I couldn't even smell alcohol without just getting sick. I would just get so sick. It could have just been morning sickness. It could have been hormones in my body. I don't know. But it... But thank God, I was able to stop drinking during my pregnancy. So I didn't have to experience the DTs or anything like that because I just thought it was morning sickness. And I, you know, I just stayed in bed and, 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 uh, and I, I began healing. And then, um, um, then I had my son and 10 days later, I was drinking again. So I had that little, just like that nine months of sobriety, maybe ten months of sobriety. And um, then ten days later, I was drinking again. And it was worse. It was so much worse because I couldn't even uh, metabolize alcohol any longer. I would just, every single time I drank, I would, I would get sick, vomiting, sick. And um, when my son was about eight months old, he you know, was a normal, natural little boy, a little baby, and he needed me in the middle of the night. And I was so angry that he would just, because I was drunk, and I was, I needed to sleep, I needed to sleep it off, and I did not want to deal with a screaming baby. And he was screaming because I was neglecting him. And I, I just remember just getting up, and I was just furious. And I went over to his crib, and I just grabbed him, and I, I knew, thank God I paused, because I knew in that moment that I could react to his needs the way my needs were met, with, you know, with resentment and hostility and, and violence and abuse. I knew I was capable of doing that. And thank God I paused and realized that, even though I was drunker than a skunk, I thought, you know what, this nightmare has to stop. I cannot raise my son in that kind of an environment. I can't. And I didn't know how in the world that would, could, I could ever do anything different because alcohol was the center of my existence. Everything involved alcohol, every single thing in my life. And, um, but, you know, I just, I, it was like, and, I, and like, uh, like I said, I was drunk. It could, have been a, it could have been a hallucination as far as I'm concerned, but um, I was enveloped by a white light in that moment. And I was surrounded by this white, loving light. And I thought, you know what? I'm not alone here. I can get help. I don't have to, I don't have to do this on my, on my own. I can get help. And I didn't really know what that was. Well, that was um, Thanksgiving morning, 1986. And it was probably about 4 o'clock in the morning. And I just grabbed my son. I put him on my chest. And I just went to bed, and, we, and I slept with him like this all night long, this tiny little creature just on my chest, and the most incredible feeling imaginable, that he was just right there and just 
you know, and I, and I was just weeping and thinking, I need help. I got to do something. Well, that, that day, you know, we went out for, um, Thanksgiving dinner, you know, a local restaurant had like a free dinner for the residents of that town, Pocatello, Idaho. And, um, uh, I was with my best friend and it was our tradition that he would come wherever I was to spend Thanksgiving with me. And, you know, I ordered a Bloody Mary, and I took a couple of drinks of it, and I just sat it down, and I thought, this is it. And I said, that's it for me, Chuck. And he said, really? And I go, yeah. And by the grace of God, it has been my last drink until this day. And I'm I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, So that's how I came to believe a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, because my life was insane. Einstein described insanity as doing the same thing over and over but expecting different results that's insanity and that's where I was I had to change everything about me in order to get sober I had to change everything the way I was thinking particularly so what I did you know when I first read these 12 steps I thought you know I don't I don't know how many of these I can ever ever do you know it just sounds like this person is too good and I'm just too bad I don't know that I can ever do these things so what I had to do is I had to record myself reading these 12 steps. And every place that it said we are, are you know, plural, a plural word, I replaced it with I. So it became accountable. I am powerless over alcohol. alcohol. My life has become unmanageable. And I listened to that tape. It was on an um, auto um, uh, cassette player and I had auto reverse so all night long I would listen to that tape over and over and over and over again until those words became a part of me and it wasn't so hard for me to believe it anymore because I was able to change my thinking to think that yeah I can I can do this so anyway um that that uh, worked really really well for me and then uh, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. That was a step that I, I had to take further down the line because I didn't have a relationship with God. I grew up in a faithless home. We had, we, I didn't know about God. And, but these, this uh, program created a desire in me to learn more about him and to have a relationship with him and to rely on him. And even though I didn't know him at that time, it was him in that moment, my moment of clarity, that, it, that assured me that you can do this. You're not alone. You got help. That was him. That was God to me. So then made a ser- searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. That one was really, really hard because I had things that I didn't ever, I thought I could never, ever tell anybody else that I did that. And I... I uh, I was cautious with step four because I knew what was going to come next. I knew that I would be required to share that list with somebody. And I thought, you know, I, uh, I'm going to just kind of, you know, just tell some bad things, but not everything. <laughs> so um, I did, but I found that when I did step five, even though I had just scratched the surface of really what I needed to deal with, I, um, when I shared step five, it was liberating, and it was. I, I felt free, and I thought, you know what? I can do this. I can do it again. So I've done many step fours, many of them, and um, I've done many step fives too, and uh, you know. And then, and there was one list left that inside of me um, that I really was struggling with because it was the things, those deep, dark, unmentionable things that I'd done in my life that I really thought I needed to take to my grave to protect myself. 
because I could not say what I had done. And, um, but it came to a point where I knew I needed to deal with that. That was left, and I wanted to be free of it. So, um, and I knew I could tell anybody about this. I could call, there, you know, AA has an 800 number. We can call New York and say, hey, I got a fifth, I got a fourth step here. Please listen to my, to it, to my fifth step, please. And, and, uh, you know, never see that person, never know who they were. I could do that. That's a choice that we have that we can exercise if we need to. Because sometimes it might be too daunting a task to look at somebody and said, say, I did this. Because I don't want you to know that. I don't know, I don't want you to know that about me. So anyway, um, my, my last fifth step, I shared with my husband. And I know I don't recommend it because, you know, my husband could be the kind of person that said, yeah, but you know, you know, when we get in a fight and when we were arguing with each other, he could say, but you, in 1978, you did that thing. And, you know, bring me to my knees. But he, you know what? When I shared my list with my husband, and I had, to, I had to brace him for this. I said, you know, I just need you to listen to this and just don't, don't, please don't judge me and please just love me anyway and going on and on and on just pleading with him. Just, you know, don't judge me. And he says, oh, I don't know if I want to hear it because <laughs> I just built it up so bad. And then I shared my list with him and he goes, that's it? He said, everybody fucks up. And that was perfect. That's exactly what I needed him to say. And you know, not once. This has been probably at least 10 or 12 years ago that I shared that list with him. He's never one time, not one time, brought up what I did in 1978. He just not, has not done that. So it was safe with him. And, and uh, I don't think he even remembers anything that I told him. I, he, because it'll come up and I said, don't you remember I told you that? You did? <laughs> no, I don't remember. <laughs> So that's the kind of person you want to share your your fourth step with. <clears throat> and so um, then, admitted to God, myself, and to another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs. Okay, that, so I, I um, shared that. And then, number six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. That, again, is what's liberating. It's just turn them over. Just let them go. I don't have to hold on to that anymore and beat myself up for it and just make myself sick. Because I'm human, and I fucked up. So, um, you know, um, I think it was Billy Graham. I think it was Reverend Billy Graham that says, I'm not a saint unless a saint is the sinner that keeps trying. We don't have to be a saint in this program. We don't have to be. In fact, we can't be. We, you know, no, it's not required of us. So anyway, I like that. I don't have to be perfect. So it's really good because, you know, most of my life I thought I had to be perfect. I had to present myself perfectly. My nails had to be perfectly polished without a chip. I had to wear stockings that never had a run, you know, and just dress impeccably. And, oh, so now I wear a pair of stockings that have a run in them because I remind myself I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to. Whoever told me that I needed to do that? I think it probably came from my childhood. But... But uh, I somehow, somewhere along the way, I got a message that I needed to be perfect or that I couldn't do anything right or that I, you know, I was not enough. So I internalized that by thinking I needed to just be perfect. Um, so humbly ask him to remove my shortcomings. That's where I really began to have a relationship with God, the, the higher power that I choose to, to, to call God, because I wanted him to deliver me 
out of this miry pit of clay that I found myself in. I needed his help. And um, so I found that I needed to, it needed to be more than a higher power. I needed to have a, a name on that person or being. And I needed to be able to worship him and to fellowship. And so it, it uh, changed my life in the way that I, I was able to, to join a church. I was able to get baptized. And for me, that was important. That was important for me to, to have that opportunity. I was 40 years old when I got baptized. And um, then it was like, okay, good, now my sins have been erased. And, and um, so anyway, um, made a list of people we'd have, we'd harmed and became willing, willing to make amends to them. My sister once asked me, well, how do you make an amends? How do you do that? What is an amends? And I, my only answer was, well, maybe just asking, how can I make an amends? What can I do to fix that? And that's a, that's a tough one. That, that can be hard because, uh, I, again, I don't want to admit some things that I did. And I am a blackout drinker. That's what I would do. So things became clear to me after years of sobriety. I would realize what I had done. And, uh, and having to go back and, and say, you know, hey, look, I, I owe you an immense for that. And it's like, <laughs> you know. And interesting, though, I wonder, how come nobody ever makes an immense to me? I don't understand that. Because I was hurt. Alcoholics have hurt me. You know, and nobody ever has never made amends to me. I have to do all the work for everybody else. (laughs) So I hope it's different for you. I hope that people can come up to you and say, hey, look, I owe you an amends too. Okay, take personal inventory and when we're wrong, properly admit it. That has become easier and easier and easier for me over the years because there were times when I could not say I am wrong I'm sorry. I could not even say that. I was so narcissistic that I thought everybody was hurting me, you know, and everybody else is responsible for what I do. But, um, but now I have the, a little barometer inside of me that says, Bing, that's a mistake. Just apologize right now. And like one time we were at the, uh, we were in uh, an, an airport and we'd flown all night long and uh, we actually were in, I think it was Paris, France. And they had like one, it was like 4 o'clock in the morning or so, and uh, there was one little food stand open in the, re- in, the, in the airport. And they had the worst kind of food. And I just gave that girl such a bad time because she had nothing that I could eat. <laughs> And then, you know, so we walked away, and my husband's like, ooh, <laughs> really embarrassed by me. <laughs> and we walk away, and we, we'll go over and sit down, and I, I thought, you know, i got to say something right now. And my husband says, just sit down and just let it go. And I go, no, I can't. So I went back to this girl, this sweet little girl, and I said, you know, I am so sorry that I behaved so badly. And she goes, thank you. You know? Because, you know, what a way to start a day, right? But, okay. So... That's what happens for me now. I can I can see more clearly that that uh, you know I'm I'm flawed and I make mistakes all the time and there's nothing there's I don't have to be ashamed about that. I don't have to lock it away and just deny it. I can just say, look, I'm sorry. I I, I messed up. 
sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God and praying only for knowledge for his will for me and the power to carry that out. Meditation is a little hard for me because my mind is so busy. It's just like constantly, just all these thoughts are going through my mind and all these, all these words. And um, you know, just it's just hard for me to get totally quiet and still and just listen to that still small voice within. And that's what it is. It's not a booming voice. It's something still and small that I really have to listen to and really concentrate to hear, and then um, and then take take action. Um, another thing that I did was I actually would do a meditation at for nighttime. So that same little cassette player, I would I would uh, put myself to to sleep with a you know these uh, this meditation where I could just clear my mind and just visualize a still moonlit lake. With, that's so still, not even a ripple is on the water, and just get to that point where it's, and then I would go to sleep. So I couldn't really do that during the day <laughs> because I, I, I want to I want to take action. So, but that that helped me get to that point. But it is difficult for me to meditate during the day just to just because there's, it's so busy. It you know. Even early in the morning, the phone will start ringing, and it's always a telemarketer with telling me that you know Apple computer, you know you're going to get you're, you're it's suspended because some some suspicious activity, and uh, so I just answer the phone. Detective Anderson from Maricopa County Fraud Department, how can I help? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Click. <laughs> so it works. Just identify yourself, at the, and then ask if. if if that's not enough to say, now may I have your identification number and and uh, uh, and your name. <laughs> so, but my point is that there's so much rushing at me all the time. It's just hard to just get a moment of silence where I can hear the rhythm of nature. That silent, that quiet. It's 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 difficult. It's easier in Tonopah than it was in Mesa, Arizona. Because it's it is quieter out here, but uh, still, it's what's between my ears that is the busiest. Um, then, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. And um, um, now, my husband, he is the finest man I've ever met, and I knew that immediately when I first met him. I knew that about him, but he doesn't get this program. Thank, thank Heavenly Father that I was sober when I met him, because he would have bolted like every other decent man that ever that I ever met. But um, and it took him four years to marry me because I was scary. I was scary, you know. I I met him when I was three three years sober, and uh, you know, but I was just I was just flopping all over the place. I was just so. <sighs> so scattered and, and shattered by this disease that I was really trying to just pull myself together and just manage my life. And um, so anyway, he's not the most supportive as far as me sponsoring people. Because when I've done that before, you know, sometimes when you sponsor, you may get a call in the middle of the night from an alcoholic who's going to pick up a drink. And he would, he hated that. He hated that. He goes, you, you, you can't do that. You can't do that anymore. 
So I had to choose out of, of sponsoring. Now we just now I just co-sponsor, and uh, you know, with someone that has more time than I have, then that's okay with him, even if he's a guy. <laughs> but um, so I have to, you know, I, I have to just um, like a, like a like a dear friend said a couple of weeks ago, you know. Um, she has to. She has to honor her husband with her sobriety. And so, anyway, that's what I do as far as that goes. When I first learned about Alcoholics Anonymous, like I said, I knew I was an alcoholic and I knew I needed help. But I had this fixed image of what these rooms were like. I knew that I would come into these rooms and hear horrible, horrible stories. And I knew mine was horrible enough, and I didn't want to hear anything that was more horrible than mine. I did not want to hear that. So I was really afraid that uh, that's what these rooms were all about. And what I found is that when I came through the door, I found home. This is home for me. This is home, and this is healing. And it's very effective healing. It's the... um, it saved my neck. It saved my neck. So um, anyway, uh, basically that's what I wanted to share tonight. I know many of you have heard bits and pieces of my story and probably all of it at different times. <laughs> but um, I just feel that I would be rambling if I just continue on at this point. So I think I've shared what my heart wanted to say. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you.